give me like an event. The event like the Exodus? Well, it, it ends a little bit before the Exodus. Um, it actually ends with the death of somebody. Well, death of Abraham happens before the end. Joseph, yeah, the, the death of Joseph. Shortly before the end, we have the death of Joseph's father, Jacob, or Israel. <clears throat> All right, so that's the book of Genesis. Now the book of Exodus. What time period or event period does the book of Exodus cover? Much shorter. What I said before. It starts with the Exodus, the exit. Yes, the exit from Egypt. So that's what we have on our map here. Now it actually starts a bit before that. It starts with the birth of who? Uh, Moses. Moses, yeah. So that, that gives you um, 80 years before the Exodus right there. <clears throat> but um, pretty quickly, the book of Exodus gets us to uh, the ten plagues, you know, getting the people out. Um, and so uh, they start to leave Egypt and so this little red line here that you can barely see is uh, what people suggest would have been their uh, travel. So at what point on this map uh, does the book of Exodus end? Mount Sinai. Yeah, it basically winds up with Mount Sinai down here. So the book of Exodus, in the terms of the map, you can think of covering from this point to that point basically. Um, and um, how, how much time, that part, not the 80 years before, but how much time roughly does that cover? The, the time of the of Sinai? So yeah, from, from the time that um, you have the 10 plagues um, until the time uh, at the end of the book of Exodus, about what period of time? Uh, I would say, in very round numbers, one year. Now, it depends how you count, because the plagues took several months, and then they spent several months down here. The actual travel time was just a little bit over a month. I think it says um, close to 40 days somewhere here. But um, but their, most of their time was spent camped out. Now, what time period does the book of Leviticus cover? Or what map period? Yeah, the book of Leviticus is just a one little dot, basically. <laughs> it's just a bunch of things that they have to say, um, that God has to say at Mount Sinai. Um, what does the book of Leviticus come from? Yes, Levi. Now we actually get some stuff about Levi in, at the end of the book of Exodus. Um, we get the uh, tabernacle. And let's go over the furniture of the tabernacle real quick. Um, what is this area called? Holy of Holies. Holy of Holies. And what's the furniture in it? Yep. What's this area called? The holy place. Yeah. And uh, what's this here? That's yeah, the altar of incense, and this here on the north. Showbread. Yep, the table showbread, and this on the south. Yes, the lampstand. Um, 
And this right here, you can probably read it if you have good eyesight. So they wash. Yeah, the, the laver. And this right here. Yeah, the altar of burnt offering. <clears throat> All right. And so then at the end of the book of Exodus, we dress up the priests. And we get that. Um, and um, what would the uh, the priest with the plain clothing be? Just a regular priest. And the priest with the blue apron? The high priest. Yeah, and so these are two different pictures of what a high priest might look like. Um, and uh, what's this on his chest? What's that? The ephod, yeah. And uh, how many stones does it have? Twelve stones. And uh, what would have been what we think maybe in a pocket behind that? That's the simmon and the... Yeah, the urine and the thumb. Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. Well, thanks very much, Matthew. All right. We're going to do the book of Leviticus. Um, what does the what does the name Leviticus come from? The tribe of Levi. Yes. Yeah, on the Wednesday night class, we just finished. We're just finishing up the book of Leviticus, so this is probably pretty familiar to, to folks. In fact, I think everybody in here is in that class, so that's that's good. Um, there's basically two parts to the book, with um, with a conclusion, and then we're sort of cheating here with an appendix. But I'll explain that in a moment. <laughs> um, the, the first 16 chapters cover the topic that Edersheim suggests is how Israel is to approach God. And this and will be in this, this section for, for today. Um, the first part pre covers sacrifices and then what the priest must do. And then the second part covers the ordinary uh, citizen of Israel. And the key is... Um, in this section is purity. That everything has to be done. The worshiper must be pure. The sacrifice must be pure. All of that. The second part is the holiness of the people of God. And this covers um, things going into ordinary life. Um, and Edersheim divides it up into a number of different uh, subtopics. One interesting thing about this the first section ends with the Day of Atonement, which was the holiest uh, festival of the year. The second section ends with the year of Jubilee, which was the, um, the biggest occasion for the land of Israel. Um, so I think, I think the outline makes sense. Both sections have exactly one story in each one. There's only two stories in the entire book of Leviticus. Everything else is boring. <laughs> uh, 
but there's there's a story in the first section, story in the second section. Who can tell me what the story is in the first section? Nabat, Dev, and Abihu got killed because they brought strange fire before God. Yeah, Tracy. The Day of Atonement, is that when the priest, the high priest could go in once a year? Is that right. Was? Yeah, that's when the high priest could go in into the most holy place. Yes. Who can tell me the story in the second part of Leviticus? Another says. <coughs> One of the wasn't from the tribe of Israel was fighting with. Yeah, keep going. Um, <laughs> then he got stoned. Why did he get stoned? He blasphemed the name of God. That was it. So in the first part, which is how Israel is to approach God, Nadab and Abihu approached God in the wrong way, and they got killed. In the second part, the holiness of the people of God. What? What is the most holy thing in all of Israel? The name of God. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, God Himself is the most holy. And so, this section, the Lord's name must be treated as holy. That's the story about the, the man that was stoned for blaspheming God. Then, we'll have this one chapter of conclusion. The blessing that will come to those who faithfully observe the covenant. And those who have read the chapter may may say, well, that's missing part. <laughs> what about the curses that come? <coughs> the curses are also a blessing. If you keep the covenant, the curses don't come on you. <laughs> this appendix is an odd thing here. But I think the reason why it's tacked on at the end, this covers free will offerings, uh, vow, basically vows. Vows were not something that were required by the, of the people. Um, there was no rule, you know, you know, how often you must take a vow. I mean, you could go your whole life and never take a vow. It was, it was completely optional. And so, it, since it goes beyond anything that was covered in the ordinary law, I think that's why it's tacked on at the very end with that appendix. So, any questions before I take that away? I've, I've got a few copies of this. If folks want, want them, I can get them to you afterwards. Um, now. In the section we're in this morning, most of it's going to going to be on the topic of sacrifices. Um, this takes us. We're, we're going through chapter eleven today, but sacrifices go through um, the first seven of those chapters. And I'm actually beginning to get these sacrifices down in my mind. <laughs> um, and I've got, I can give a copy of that to some folks if they're interested afterwards as well. Um, it's really very simple. <laughs> the, um, the basic idea is simple. Now there's variations, and I can't, I can't say I've got all the variations down, but... Um, this chart, I think, will be very helpful. <clears throat> there are basically four kinds of, of offerings plus a variation on, a kind of an enhancement on the one. Um, 
Because the trespass offering, and I really should have called it guilt offering, the trespass, I, I took this out of our, our book on our Wednesday night book, and he's taking it out of the King James Bible that calls it trespass, but in the New American Standard it's called a guilt offering. But the guilt offering is basically a sin offering with a fine added to it. So it's not a lot different. So basically four offerings. And there's the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, and the sin offering. And again, there's variations with those. There's more than one kind of peace offering, for example, and, 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 we, and different kinds of, of burnt offerings. But um, the meaning behind it is, is basically the same. Even though you may have variations of the peace offering, each peace offering means about the same thing, and that's true for these other items too. And the order is very interesting here. This is not the order in which they would be offered. Does anyone know if if you were going to offer all four of these in one one morning, for example, which one would you do first? You do the sin first. That's right. What's second? The burnt offering second. Yes. Yeah, after that, it's in order: the burnt offering, then the grain offering, and finally the peace offering. But in, in the book of Leviticus, it leaves the sin offering till last to cover. Uh, and, you know, I guess we just have to guess as to why. Yeah, Tracy? Do they do those, all four of those every day? The, the burnt, green, peace, and sin, do they do that every day? I don't think so. The, yeah, the burnt offering was definitely every day. Um, but I... I don't think so, but we—we we I don't think we've gotten far enough in the book yet to, to cover what they did every day. Um, the uh, my take on it is that the first three, though, though that's the way it's supposed to be. The sin offering, of course, is for something that's not supposed to be there. That we shouldn't have sin, and there, and so that's kind of an exception, but. Given the fact that everyone does have sin, whenever when they offer the sin offering, that had to be done first, and then the other three on, on top of that. The uh, now I took this this explanation of the burnt offering from uh, the Mike Willis book, and he takes his definition of burnt offering from Romans chapter twelve, the first two verses, where it talks about presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice, and the burnt offering symbolizes the total giving over of the worshiper to God. The, how much of the burnt offering was actually burned up and how much was eat, eaten? It was all burned up. It was all burned up, yes. The, this is a whole burnt offering. The whole thing is given to God. And, that, and that's what our lives are supposed to be. Our lives are supposed to be totally dedicated to God. <clears throat> so that chapter 1 covers how that is done. Um, and it, it covers um, three different kinds of animals that could be offered as a whole burnt offering. And what are those three? Sheep, goats, and, and bull. Um, Flock and birds. Birds. Yeah, that's right. You, you find, I was I was looking for the <laughs> yeah. birds. Yeah, yeah the, you can have you know from the herd or from the flock or from the birds. Um, 
Yes, although in chapter 1 it doesn't say that. But later on we'll find out that, that yes. Um, I don't think they did... I, the birds, I, I think, were just for individuals to offer. I don't think they ever used that in their regular <coughs> daily sacrifices. But they cover all... Basically, chapter 1 is just a description. If someone offers this kind of burnt offering, this is what you do. This is how you do it. So then the second one is the grain offering. There was... There was no animal parts to this, to the grain offering at all. Um, and our author suggests that this point source for the fact that God is the giver of earth's produce which sustains life. Everything we have comes from God, and when we give a grain offering to God, or when, back when they gave a grain offering to God, that represented the fact that they were accepting the fact that this all came from God. And is yeah. that the same when, it, when a book person afford to do this and they had they offered substance of uh, I don't know what it was but it wasn't any animals it had to do with the spices um, I don't think the, the, the grain offering was the grain offering was was for everybody did this this wasn't just something for poor people only um, there was um, there was a sacrifice I think under the sin offering there, there. I think it was a sheep or a goat was required, but for poor people they could use a, a bird. If they were really poor, they could use grain. Yeah, that's what it was. yeah, but that's not. That was still the sin offering, even though they were allowed to use grain because they couldn't afford anything that that was alive at the time. Now the grain offering. This was this was something that, that the whole congregation would offer. And what kind of what kind of bread was involved in it? Unleavened bread, yes. And what else was offered with it? Salt. Salt, yes. And they also mentioned some frankincense as well. This was some... Um, what? And oil. And oil, yes, that's right. Um, and so this was an offering to God. Um, and part of it was burned. Part of it was burned before God. I think part of it the priests would eat. I don't believe of the grain offering. I don't believe ordinary worshippers were allowed to eat any of it, um, and even the priests had to eat it in a holy place. This wasn't something they could just kind of take home and um, have as a snack in the evening. All right. Then there is the peace offering. Um, in some Bibles, I think it's called the fellowship offering, uh, and both meanings would work fine. Uh, and uh, uh, our author suggests this symbolizes the festive joy of those at peace with God. I think that's that's a good way to put it. The the um, a peace offering is not to get peace. Um, you the peace offering is offered by someone who is already at peace with God, someone who's already in fellowship with God. You offer the, the but you offer this sacrifice as a as a celebration. And and this was this was the only sacrifice that the ordinary worshiper could eat of. The others, some of them, the priests could eat from. Some of them, even the priest wasn't allowed to eat from. Uh, but the the peace offering, the ordinary worshippers could could enjoy. And um, this was something. You, this was not something you brought when you had committed some particular sin. It was it was just something you you brought when you just you wanted to worship God, just a chance to to celebrate.
peace with Him. And, and after you offered it, part of it was burned on the altar, only, only a fairly small part. Part of it belonged to the priest as his, um, kind of as his portion for, uh, for doing the service. And the rest of the animal belonged to the worshiper. And the worshiper could then take it. He didn't have to eat it at the tabernacle. He could take it to his house or, or, or some other place. And the whole family could, could enjoy it. He, he'd probably invite his friends in. They could all eat from it. With one provision. What, what was the provision you had to... There's something you had to be in order to eat from this sacrifice. You had to be clean. Exactly. You had to be clean. Um, what kind of things would make you unclean? Touching anything that was not. Yeah, touching something that's unclean. Um, typically, it might be a dead body. Um, uh, and how long would you stay unclean usually? Till evening. Till evening. Yeah. So, if you touched a dead body that day, you couldn't eat from the from a peace offering. You could eat you could eat other food, but you couldn't eat the peace offering. And God would be most upset if you did. Um, and. This the, the peace offering sometimes included uh, grain to go with it, and that was the only sacrifice where um, it could include leaven. Uh, the 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 bread that would go with the peace offering would could in, in fact I think it was commanded to include leaven. But again, that that was not that was not burned on the altar. You didn't you didn't burn something leavened on the altar to God, but it it, it could be part of the offering, and the, the worshippers would eat it. The priest got part of it too. And then we come to the sin offering. And this is much more detailed. The animal you use to offer depends upon who you are. (laughs) Um, Well, it's not not how much money you have. And I I know you're just kind of saying that tongue-in-cheek. But it's a matter of how... How much your sin affects the congregation, and in that regard, the high priest is at the very top. He represents the whole congregation, so his sin is is very serious. And so, in chapter four, he brings what animal? A bull. Yes, he brings a bull. And um, what do they do with the blood of the bull? Yes, yeah, some of it was put on the horns of the altar. What are the horns of the altar, by the way? What are the corners? Yeah, they're little things that stick up on the four corners. And pictures I've seen from archaeological digs, they they're sort of um, they they're they're uh, kind of stylized versions of animal horns on the four corners. Nobody actually knows exactly what they're for. <laughs> I've heard suggestions, you know, like maybe they tied the animal down with them, but just that's just pure suggestion. Um, but yeah, okay, well, we're not going there. <laughs> um, but they very often put the blood on the horns of, of the altar. Um, then he would he would burn the fat on the altar, the kidneys, and a few other things like that on the altar. Oh, the one other thing, there was another place where he took the blood. We 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 skipped this. Seven times before the Lord. Yes, in front of the veil of the sanctuary. So that blood was actually taken inside the tabernacle and be sprinkled in front of, of that veil separating the holy place from the most holy place. And there was a special rule for any 
any sacrifice that the blood was taken inside the sanctuary, what was the rule? You couldn't, nobody got to eat from it. Um, and what's even stranger, do you know where they burned this sacrifice? Outside the camp. <laughs> this, this is, I mean, you think, now this is crazy. They've gone all this trouble to build this fancy altar here, and they killed the animal right there next to the altar. They took the blood, sprinkled it, put some of the blood on the horns of the altar, sprinkled some of the blood in the, most, in the holy place. But the animal itself, carried outside the camp, what kind of a place would they use for where they burned it? Outside the camp. Yeah, where the ashes from the altar were poured. Was this a clean place or unclean place? Clean. Had to be a clean place, yes. There couldn't be any pollution there. Yeah, Tracy. When the high priest offered the sin offering, how often did they offer it? Um, the but no, well, he offered it when he sinned. Now, obviously, that, that can't mean every time he commits any sin. Uh, it, it apparently is, is some some noteworthy thing, but I, I, I can't give you more detail than that. Well, that's that. Where, where they offer it, if it's in, the, it's in the most holy place they offer it? No, 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 no. You can't go in the most holy place just in time. Um, they, they slaughtered the animal outside in front of the tabernacle. The blood was taken almost to the most holy place, but it was sprinkled in front of the veil. And then the, the offering, the, the animal was taken outside the camp and burned outside the camp. The Hebrew writer makes a point about this. Do you remember what that point is? Well, like in Jesus having been That's right. Yeah. The, just like the, the sin offerings had to be burned outside the camp, so Jesus was sacrificed outside of Jerusalem. The, the hill of Golgotha was not inside the city limits. They had to go outside for that. And um, so... Now, of course, the people of Moses' day wouldn't have had any idea that that, what that was talking about. But um, from their perspective, I'm sure what they would see would be God is holy and you can't bring something representing sin before God. So the animal is carried outside the camp away from Him. Yet somehow the blood of the animal gets brought inside. I'm sure that would have puzzled them. <laughs> All right. So then we go to the second one, if the whole congregation sins. And this is a collective sin. The whole congregation has done something that they should not have done. Uh, I don't know what it might be. I mean, they, I mean, there were times when there were times when the whole congregation did things like they might have skipped the Passover over or something like that. Um, and so what do they bring? Yeah, alright. So they're bringing a bull as well. In fact, and the rest of the rules are the same for them as for the high priest. The blood is applied the same way that the animals burned outside the camp. Okay, what about the ruler? He's next in the list of hierarchy here. What else? I'll go. Okay. And I don't think they took the blood of the goat inside the tabernacle, did they? So in that case, they would not have had to burn the animal outside the camp. I don't know whether they did or not. It doesn't say here. I do know that later on with some of the sin offerings, the priests would eat of the meat so they would not burn the whole thing outside the camp. 
Yeah, Matthew. It's a male Okay, yes, and I think uh, that that's in contrast with when a common person sins, that's a female goat. Why a goat, not a bull? Um, the, they're going down the value chain, and the, the bull being most valuable, you know, then the goat being next valuable after that. Now, I don't know what whether, in terms of how much they would pay, whether they'd pay more for a male goat or a female goat. I, I would think a farmer today would pay more for a female goat because that's what you get the milk from, but um, I'm not sure that it's entirely in terms of dollar value. I think it's in term, it's, it's, it is a value issue, but I'm not sure that it's value in terms of how much it produces. Um, and the bull is more powerful than the goat. Yeah, the male goat is more powerful than the female goat. That's a good way to put it, yes. Um, then we come to the trespass or the guilt offering and the difference here is that the, the guilt offering someone has committed a sin that has done damage specifically to someone uh, it might be to God and I mean, of course we can say well all sin is a sin against God but there are certain sins that you can, you can put a dollar value on what the harm was um, for example, if someone eats, someone who's not a priest, eats some of the bread that was the showbread, um, that is a, a sin against God. He is guilty before God, but he's also he's also he has to pay a fine to to replace what the, the bread he took. And with with all these fines, the fine was paid to the person or to God who was harmed. And what else was paid? Yeah, uh, John? Yes. An extra 20% of the value of whatever was harmed is given to that person um, in, in just recognition of, of you know, this shouldn't have been done like this. And, and there's a lot, lot of different ways that, that uh, certainly we mentioned a way that God could be harmed in a financial sense. Um, and, and they give some examples of how people can be harmed as well. You know, you, you could steal from your neighbor. You could, um, you could he could loan something to you and, you and you could say well it got it's missing and you're lying I mean all different things like that those are all things in which you become guilty and there's a guilt offering and the and the guilt offering is basically the same as the sin offering with the with the enhancement that you pay a fine to to whoever you have have wronged um, and so uh, we've got there's Sections three three sections. The first one is sin in the holy things of the Lord, and then sin in violating commandments. Let me see what that's. Um, he doesn't give any example of a commandment. Um, and then cases of moral fraud, which we talked about a little bit. Those will be easier to to find illustrations for. And then the the section on sacrifices finally ends with instructions to the priests. And um, I didn't, I did not outline this on the chart because I didn't have room. But um, he covers first the burnt offering, then he covers the meal offering, and then starting in verse 19, he covers the meal offering at the consecration of the priest. Uh, this is chapter six. Um, yeah. 
So he's basically telling the priest what he has to do and what his part of it is. Now with the grain offering, for example, the priest gets to eat part of it in a holy place. But in verse 19, with the grain offering at the consecration of the priest, um, in that case, he doesn't get to eat any of it. It all it all goes to God. And you, and you can see why that makes sense since that that's an offering specifically for him. It's how he becomes a priest. Um, then in starting in verse 24, it talks about the priest's obligation with the sin offering and it, and it gives more details than what we had before. Like, um, he can eat it in a holy place in the court of the tent of meeting, but anyone who touches his flesh is, is, becomes consecrated, and if blood splashes, you have to carefully wash it off, and if, if an earthenware gets some of the blood on it, what do you have to do with the earthenware vessel? You have to break it. Uh, if it's a bronze vessel, what do you do? Yeah, you clean it. Yeah. Um, so, but then in verse 30, the last verse of the chapter, no sin offering of which any of the blood is brought into the tent of meeting to make atonement in the holy place shall be eaten. It shall be burned with fire. And that's what we noticed here. The, the first two sin offerings, blood was taken into the holy place, nobody gets to eat it. The second two sin offerings, no blood is taken into the holy place. So we would assume that from this that the priest would get to eat from that. Then in chapter 7, it continues with these instructions to the priest. Um, it's, it begins with the guilt offering. Um, and he, he, get, he can eat part of that. Then in, in verse 11, it goes to the peace offering. And he gets a contribution from the peace offering. But the worshiper is what he—he's the one that brought the sacrifice. It's the one who who gets gets most of it to eat with, with his friends. The the peace offering is divided into two kinds of peace offering. There's the thanksgiving offering, and there is the vow or voluntary sacrifice. Then the chapter in verses 22 through 27 it warns against eating fat or drinking blood, and finally in verse 28 to the end it has. The wave offering and the contribution offering, which uh, you, you'll also hear called the, the heave offering. Um, and what, what a wave offering was, um, it was a, a portion of the sacrifice. Typically with the peace offering, the thigh will be waved before God and, and that was God's portion. And now they didn't burn that up though. It was God's portion and it went to God's priests. And the priests would then eat eat the um, the wave offering. All right. Any questions through chapter seven? Then now we begin the story, which we, of course, the only part of the story we remember is named down and by you. But the story starts actually in chapter eight. This is the consecration of Aaron and and his sons. Um, how long did this ceremony last? Yeah. Quite a, quite a long ceremony, a week-long ceremony. And it begins in verse 6 with washing. And Moses had Aaron and his sons wash. What, what would they, where would they get the water for the washing? Yeah, from, from the laver in, in, in the court there. Then in verses 7 through 9, uh, they, get, they put on their garments and... and the description goes carefully through, and, you, and Matthew was showing you the picture of what they were wearing. 
the the ordinary priests wore the white linen and the high priest had the fancier garments over that. Then in verse 10, Moses anointed the tabernacle and he anointed them with what? Oil, yes. This is holy anointing oil. Poured some of it on Aaron's head and, and also sprinkled it on them. Um, then in verse uh, 14... Oh, sorry, in verse 13, up to verse 12 he was doing Aaron, then in verse 13 he did Aaron's sons. How many sons did Aaron have? Four sons, yes. Um, then in verse 14, uh, there was a sin offering. And you remember the order that they offer things in, the sin offerings first. So they offer the sin offering. And um, he took the animal outside the camp to burn it in verse um, 17, just like we've been reading. Then in verse 18, they do the burnt offering. That's always after the sin offering. Um, Then in verse um, 22, they had one that we haven't covered before. This was the ram of ordination or otherwise called the ram of consecration. Um, And they did something very strange with the blood from this ram. What what, What did they do with that? Yeah, put some on on Aaron's right ear, some on his right thumb, some on his right big toe. Yeah. What was that for? Well, it was to consecrate all of Aaron to service to God. Yeah. Um, Head, hands, feet—you know—that kind of covers the whole person. Do it. He would go where God says, yes, that's, that's a good way to put it. Exactly, yeah. So, um, then in, um, in verse 31, they ate a meal. Um, and they ate the meal in the tabernacle, if I'm reading this right. Um, Boil in verse thirty. Boil the flesh at the door of the tent of meeting, and eat it there together with the bread which is in the basket of the ordination offering. I'm not sure whether they actually went inside the tabernacle or just ate it in front. I, I tried to find out exactly where do they mean when they said the door of the tabernacle. Of course, I mean we all know where the door is. That's you know the front of the tabernacle. But if you're going to say I'm in the doorway of the ta- of the tabernacle, how far out could you be and still be in the doorway? And I think. It's the area all in front of it, even even as far as the altar, a burnt offering. That whole area. I mean, it's kind of. I mean, Mainers like to talk about dooryards. I think this <laughs> this was the dooryard for the tabernacle. Um, it, basically, they they've spent a whole week at this in, in this place. They weren't allowed to go outside of that of that area. They said you can't leave the door of the tabernacle. But again, obviously that, that had to include more than just, you know, like a six inch <laughs> distance. Um, and in fact I think they were offering sacrifices during that time, so the doorway must must the doorway area must include the, the altar and all of that. Um, so then we jump forward in chapter nine, we jump forward to the end of this of the week. On the eighth day and they had some extra sacrifices on, on the eighth day. They begin in verse 5 with <coughs> um, offerings for Aaron. 
Then in verse 15, they did offerings for the people. Sin offering and a burnt offering. Um, And then in verse um, 23, Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. When they came out and blessed the people, the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And then what happened? Yeah, fire came out and and consumed these offerings. And the the same thing happens later when when the temple is dedicated. Um, God was showing His acceptance of the offerings. He was showing His acceptance of the tabernacle itself. And that in turn inspired Nadab and Abihu to do what? They're opened up strange fire. Yeah. Now... Yeah, and um, commentators put out two suggestions as to what this strange fire is. Um, and both of them have some support in the Scriptures, so, so I don't know which one it is. But uh, the one is that they were going in, and it's clear that they were going to go offer incense. And you'd offer incense in the tabernacle on the altar of incense. But the one suggestion is they were offering it at a time not authorized. That they were commanded to offer incense in the morning and in the evening. And this was in between the two. It was clearly the wrong time for offering incense. And the other suggestion is that they were using the wrong fire. That they weren't getting the fire from the altar. Now... There's no place that specifically says you must get the fire from the altar except on the Day of Atonement. In, in Leviticus 16, the, the fire that, that the high priest used for his incense when he went into the tabernacle came from the altar of burnt offering. And so, you know, we, we could say, well, it would make sense that all the, all the incense should be burned with the same fire, and so maybe they were taking this fire from somewhere else. Um, but those are the two possibilities. Whichever it is, I'm sure Aaron and the others knew knew what it was, and and they. I think what's going on. One moment. I think what was going on. Nadab and Abihu had decided to do something on their own. You know, God had done this great thing. Hey, let's let's do something special for God. And the problem. And, and I, um, I'll go back to the first outline. The problem is that. They were ignoring how Israel is to approach God. We have to approach God in the way He has commanded, not not in the ways we invent ourselves. And and that's the, of course, the message of the whole book, and especially the message of that one story. Yeah, Tracy. Yeah, in verse three, they, he must be regarded as holy. Right, he has to be regarded as holy, and before all the people, he will be honored. And so, if the priests weren't going to honor him by doing his will, God was going to be honored by burning them up. One way or the other, God's going to be honored. You know. And as a result of that, they're down now to two priests and one high priest. <laughs> and what was Aaron commanded? Not to grieve. He, he was the high priest. He was to continue his high priestly duties and not interrupt them at all for this. Um, was it wrong for anybody at all to grieve them? And, and, and Moses said the whole congregation can grieve for them, just not the high priest. His duties were so solemn that they, 
superseded even mourning for the death of his own sons in this case. What? Yeah. I think that's the whole. I think that's the whole message in the end of verse three, where it says, "So Aaron therefore kept silent." I mean, I just read into that that. I mean, that God is, is addressing. This was very difficult for him, but he he did it because it was what was commanded, and, and that Moses was even speaking to him, spoke that to to yeah. Aaron as a way of kind of, I guess, comforting him, but also saying, you know, you better. Yeah. What the Lord commands. Yeah. Yeah. um, There are several places in the Bible where you have things like this, and and when we when we get into some of the prophets, we'll find the prophets sometimes were given a command very similar to this. Um, And when you read about it, you realize that's tough. That's awfully tough. Um, Ezekiel, his wife died, and he was given instructions about not publicly mourning for her. I mean, just wow. No, I mean, she hadn't done any wrong either. It was just it was just a sign to the people. Well, I've gone over. Um, this is a good place to break. Well, I've got one chapter left from our reading, but it really belongs with with the next part, so it'll fit well next time. So we'll continue reading next time on through. I think twelve through nineteen is the reading, and just lots and lots of commandments. Now we're into the area that are dealing with the common people and how they live their day to day lives. Thank you, everybody, and thanks, Matthew, for getting us started. Sorry for being late. (laughs) It was terrible.